0: Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So as a pastor... I get to see the best days of people's lives, that I get to be there for the best days and the best moments. I get a front row seat to watch God do absolutely wonderful, incredible, amazing things in people's lives. And just the last week, we had one couple in our church get married, and we had another couple in our church have a baby. I mean, those are the best days. I love it when people come up to me and they say, pastor, I'm getting married or pastor. She said, yes, or pastor, we're pregnant and we're expecting like those are the best days as a pastor because I get to share those moments with you. I mean, in the life of our church, I have seen alcoholics get sober. I have seen drug addicts get clean. I've seen marriages restored. I have seen relationships reconciled. I mean, I have seen some things that only Jesus can do And every single week. God keeps doing amazing things in our community groups. People are growing in their faith in our serve team. People are discovering their purpose as they serve to help other people meet Jesus. Our next step class is full almost every other week. And I get to see God do these amazing things. And I believe that God's going to keep doing amazing things as in just a couple of weeks, we're going to move into our brand new building and we're going to have our grand opening and God's going to keep doing amazing, wonderful, incredible things. And as a pastor, I get a front row seat to watch the best days of people's lives. But I also get a front row seat to watch the worst days of people's lives. That I get to see those dark days, those painful days, I get to see those days to where you're not getting married, instead, you're getting divorced. To where you're not having a baby, instead, you're having a miscarriage. To where it's not getting better, in fact, it's getting worse. That there are people in our church who are suffering and hurting and struggling. And today is not the best day. Today is the worst day. That there are people in our church with depression and anxiety and bipolar disorder to where the medication is not working. There are people in our church that they have lost their jobs. They have lost their family. They have lost their mother or their father. They've lost their kids and they've lost all hope. There are people in our church who are in the middle of the dark days, in the middle of the painful days. There are people in the church to where they didn't get the promotion. They lost their job to where they don't know how they're going to pay their bills. They don't know how they're going to put food on the family for their table. They're in the dark days. It's the worst days. So what do you do on those days? Because yeah, we get to see the best days. And those are the days that we like to share. And they're the ones we like to tell everyone about. But what do we do on the worst days? that we find ourselves asking and questioning and wondering, where is God? What is God doing? Does God love me? Has God forgotten me? Has God forsaken me? Has God abandoned me? Does God even care? Anyone ever been there? Anybody ever feel that? Okay, then if so, turn with me to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. The sermon title is this, Jesus Calms the Storm. Okay, let me say this. Many of us, we find ourselves in a storm. This section of scripture was a great encouragement to me this week. As I was praying through it and reading through it, it was such a blessing. and It was such an encouragement to me. And my prayer is that for you and those of us who are going through storms, that this would be a great blessing and encouragement to you in your life as well. And so we're in Mark chapter four, we're going to start in verse 35, and here's where Mark starts, and I love this, verse 35, he says this, on that day, okay, what day is it? It's that day, okay, you know that day, right? Everyone's had that day, the day that everything changes, the day that nothing will ever be the same after this day, because this day is that day, and that day, it starts off just like every other day. It's a normal day that you wake up, you pound the coffee, You know the birds are singing, the, the sun is shining, you wipe the crust out of your eyes, you get up, you get dressed, you get the kids ready, you're driving them to school, you're going to work, you're going to college, you got your 8 a.m. class, it starts just like every other day. It's that day, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. Mark says that this story starts on that day. When evening had come, he, that's Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Jesus, if you remember, in Mark chapter four, he's been preaching and teaching and it's an entire day worth of ministry that Jesus goes out. He gets in a boat, he sits on the sea, a crowd of about 5,000 people show up and Jesus is loving them, he's serving them, he's helping them, possibly healing them. Like he's teaching, is a whole day worth of ministry. And at the end of the day, Jesus, he's just tired. Right? He's like, all right, big crowd shows up. Mm, okay, let's go ahead and leave. It's been a long day. Let's just pull up anchor. Let's get in the boat. Let's just get away from all of these people. Let's get away from all of these problems. Like, We just need to take a minute, take a moment. We just need to get away. Anybody ever feel that? You just need to get away after a very long day. That's where Jesus is at. And so Jesus, they get in the boat, they pull up the anchor. It's after the end of the day, it's dark, it's night. And then they head out into the middle of the sea. He just wants to get away. And then I love this. And the other boats were with him, right? You get this picture that the crowd, they don't want Jesus to leave. They're like, Jesus, where are you going? Jesus, what are you doing? Okay, well, we're going to keep following you, and so you can get in your boat and try to get away from us, but we got our own boats, and we're going to keep following after you. All right, Jesus, he can't even get a minute to himself. That's just how pressured Jesus's life and ministry as parents, you probably understand this, especially moms, right? You cannot even get a minute by yourself. Like the kids, they're just following after you everywhere you go. So you're in the bathroom, knock on the door. I'm trying to take a shower. Yeah, well, I need you. That's exactly where Jesus is at in this moment. He wants to get away and the crowds, they get in their boats and they go and follow him. And then that's when it happens. That's when that day comes. That's when the storms begin to come in. That's when the clouds, they get dark. That's when you can't see the lightning and the thunder is all around you. And you're in the middle of the roar of the storm. It's that day. And verse 38, when, um, and verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat was already filling. Can you imagine yourself being a disciple? That you're in the middle of a storm, it's the middle of the night, you're in the middle of the sea, and you're in a boat. That the waves are crashing down around you, the wind is raging, that you're looking to facing your certain death, it's imminent doom, that the boat is filling, the boat is falling apart. You know, how are you feeling in this moment? What fear, what panic are you experiencing? This is where the disciples are at. And then the disciples remember, oh yeah, that's right. Jesus is in the boat with us. We need to go find Jesus. We need to go look for Jesus. Where is Jesus at? What is Jesus doing? Jesus, where are you? But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Jesus, how are you sleeping in the middle of a storm, right? Jesus, where are you at? Jesus, what are you doing? Oh, you're sleeping. Sorry to interrupt your sleep. You know, I want you to wake up just so you could watch us to die. You're sitting there on a cushion. Looks really comfortable to be Jesus right about now. Jesus, you need to get up. Jesus, you need to do something. Jesus, you need to help us. Jesus, you need to get to work. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, what are you doing? And then they begin to accuse him. And when he woke, they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, doesn't this even bother you that we are about to die? Jesus, does this not bother you that we are perishing? Do you not love us? Do you not care about us? What are you doing? You're sleeping. Does anyone ever feel like Jesus is asleep in the middle of your storm? Anybody ever feel that? Like, Jesus is sleeping. It's the worst day of your life. You're in the middle of a storm. Everything is falling apart. Everything is crashing down all around you. And you go to him, and he's asleep. If so, then this is a word for you. Because the story continues. Verse 39. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I want to pause for just a second, say this. You know, I've read this story so many times And whenever I would read this, I always heard the voice of Jesus saying, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? But as I was reading it this week, I saw a beautiful picture of our Lord and his disciples as he rebukes the storm, but he turns to his disciples and he says, Why are you so afraid? The tone of voice of Jesus in this moment, I think, is important. That he doesn't yell at you, but instead he speaks to you. And he turns and he looks to his disciples and he says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. You see, up until this point, all we have experienced from the disciples' life is their best days. I mean, Chapters one through four is really just the highlight reel of the disciples' lives. I mean, they get to be with Jesus. They get to walk with Jesus. They get to see Jesus. They get to do ministry with Jesus. They're in a community group with Jesus. I mean, this has to be amazing. This has to be the best day. I mean, you know, the disciples, they're living their best life. I mean, chapters one through four is incredible. I mean, just think, what would it be like for you to be a disciple? Think, you're you're Peter, James, and John, right? You know, you're just fishermen, and it's a normal, ordinary day. You're on the boat. You're working some dirty Joe job. You got fish guts underneath your fingernails, mending your nets, and then all of a sudden, Jesus walks right up to you, and he says, you need to follow me, and then immediately, they drop their nets, leave everything behind, and then they begin to follow Jesus. Just think about this. How incredible would that be? That you were hand selected. You were chosen. You were picked. Jesus says, I want you to come and follow me. I mean, that's going on on the resume. Amen. Like you put that on your resume. Jesus picked me. Okay. You're hired. Great job, right? That you were picked by Jesus. That's, that's amazing. And then think about Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. I mean, tax collectors, they are the lowest of the low. They are the scum of the earth. Levi, he was the biggest sinner in the city. Nobody liked him. Nobody loved him nobody wanted to be with him nobody wanted to be around him everybody hated him and then Jesus walks right up to Levi and says I'm going back to your house Right, you're going to throw a big party and all of your drug addict, prostitute friends, they're all going to come back to the house and then they're all going to get saved and we're going to eat good food and the Pharisees aren't invited. That's a good day. like That's an amazing day. That's a great day. Like You're going to be telling your children and your grandchildren that story for the rest of your life. You're going to be sitting down at Thanksgiving dinner when you're like 80 and all your family's going to be around. And you're going to say, okay, let me tell you about that time Jesus came back to my house and threw me a big party. And they're like, Papa, we've heard this story like 17 times since, you know, one. I mean, come on, papa, get over it. And that's the best day of his life. I mean, when you just think about what it would be like to be a disciple in the first four chapters of of the Gospel of Mark, I mean, it's incredible. It's the best day. They see Jesus do wonderful, incredible, amazing things. I mean, look at the teachings. Look at the, the preaching. Look at the miracles that Jesus did. I mean, they got to see a guy cut a hole in the ceiling and then lower their friend down. I mean, like who does that, right? Who just cuts holes in people's ceilings and then they lower their friend down and he's paralyzed? And Jesus looks at him and says, "Son, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and go home." And then he does. Like that's an, that's amazing. I mean, they saw a guy with leprosy literally grow back limbs. That's pretty cool. I mean, they saw um, demons get cast out. Like, that's pretty nice. Like, that's pretty cool. That's got to be a really cool sight. I mean, they seen a man with a withered hand just stretch his hand out, and then immediately his hand would be restored. And all of the time and all the preaching and all the teaching and all the healing and all the miracles and all the signs and all the wonders, none of them could ever prepare the disciples for this. Because they go from the best day to the worst day. And none of that could prepare them for what they are about to experience. See, what we're about to study is probably the most beloved and well-known scriptures in all of your Bible, right? We study it when we we're little kids. We learned about it in Sunday school, whether you grew up in Iwanas or Royal Rangers, you're probably familiar with the story. And then we remind ourselves about this story all the time, right? We look in the mirror and we say, peace, be still, Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Take a deep breath. Okay, peace, be still. Breathe it out. Okay, peace, be still. And the storm still is going. That Jesus, he can say to the storm, peace, be still. And immediately, it's calm. Now, you and me, we can speak to that same storm. We can say, peace, be still. And it's still storming that the winds are still blowing and the sea is still raging and the water is still filling up your boat and everything is continuing to fall apart. And just like the disciples, it's very easy for us to go from the best day to that day to the worst day. And we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. How many of you have ever been through a storm? How many of you are going through a storm right now? how many of you see the storm coming it's out there okay good jesus today is going to teach us four things about storms so the first thing he wants us to do is this <clears throat> we're going to talk about the calm before the storm All right on verse 35 it says on that day it's the day that everything changes on that day he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him. That's Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. So Jesus here, he just finished an entire day's worth of ministry. Mark chapter four, it all takes place in one single day. So Jesus wakes up in the morning and then he goes out to the sea of Galilee. He finds himself a boat. He sits in the boat on the sea, and then he begins preaching. And a crowd of about 5,000 people show up to come and listen to Jesus preach. So Mark four, one through 20 starts where Jesus is preaching about the sower of the parable of, uh, of the soils. So he preaches this message and then he gets alone with his disciples and they have this little community group. And then he explains the parable to his followers. And then he comes back, gets in the boat on the sea, and then he is preaching to the crowd again. And this time he's preaching about the importance of the word of God, that Jesus all day long, that he is teaching, he is preaching, he's possibly healing other people that he is doing ministry, he's helping, he's loving, he's serving as many people as he can, but primarily in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is preaching. And I don't know if you know this or not, but preaching is exhausting, okay? I don't know if you knew that or not, but preaching, it is exhausting. Research has shown that a one-hour sermon is the physical equivalent of running five miles. And so every sermon, um, every Sunday here at Redemption, I preach two sermons, and when we move into the new building, probably going to add a third service. So that means on any given Sunday, I'm standing here on the stage preaching about 15 miles. Okay. Preaching is exhausting. And whenever I finish church and service, we tear everything down. And one of the things that we do is, um, me and my wife and our little girl, every single Sunday, we go over to my grandparents' house. And my papa, he cooks a really big meal, a nice spread, good food. And we all eat family dinner together. And then I lay down on the couch. And before the cowboys have kickoff, I'm dead. I'm done. I'm gone. I have nothing left to give. I am I'm out of there. And I'm asleep, so I don't have to watch them lose. And it's double win. So, so then... Gotcha. So then... <laughs> I'm tired. I, I'm exhausted. I, I'm, I don't have anything left to give because preaching is exhausting, but it's not only physically exhausting. It's also spiritually exhausting that there is a spiritual energy transfer that happens throughout a sermon. I, I don't know if you've ever preached before, but if you haven't preached, then you just don't understand it. That um, spiritually there's this transfer of energy. And by the time a sermon is over, like you're just drained. Like, like when I finish preaching, I run in that back room and I just go and I pray. I say, God, I am empty. I need you to fill me up. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, empower me. God, encourage me. Lord, give me the strength. Give me the endurance. Give me the ability to be able to go out and do it again. And the Lord is good and he is faithful and he fills me back up. I come here, stand on stage only to pour myself out again and again, right? Preaching is exhausting, but here Jesus is not preaching for one sermon or two sermons, Okay. This is an all day event. Jesus is preaching for possibly 12, maybe even 15 hours. That's just him preaching. Okay. Jesus, he is exhausted, but not only is preaching exhausting, but, but let's just be honest. Okay. People are exhausting. Amen right? People People are exhausting. Like, not you people, but other people. People, right? People are exhausting. You love them. You care for them. You serve them. You want to do the best that you can for them. But let's just be honest. People... Mm, people are exhausting. And here, what we see is that there is a crowd, maybe 5,000 people, right? Whenever Mark's talking about the crowd, it's never in a very positive light. See, we would read this and we think a crowd, that's got to be pretty incredible. Like 5,000 people, 2,000 years ago, like Jesus has the first mega church. That's amazing, right? Not really, because when you consider the crowd, right? The crowd, they're not there for the right reasons, Okay, the crowd, they're not there because they love Jesus. They're there because they want something from him. They're not there because they want to be saved by Jesus or because they want to serve Jesus or because they want to repent of their sin. The crowd shows up because they want to show. They want entertainment. They want a performance. They want Jesus to do something. They expect following Jesus to be more like a circus. So they show up and they're like, okay, Jesus, well, what are you going to do for us today? Right? Jesus, you're going to heal somebody? You're going to do a miracle? You're going to tell one of those parables again? You're going to preach another sermon? Come on, Jesus, I want to see something. Like, give me something to talk about, right? Give me something to do with my life and my day because I have nothing better to do. Come on, Jesus, heal a person. You know, hey, look, my mother in law's here. She's got a demon. Can you cast that out? Like, I got a hangnail, right? Oops, I tripped and fallen. I can't get up. Jesus, I need you to do something. Heal me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, do a miracle. Jesus, preach a sermon. Chop, chop, Jesus. Jump Jesus, you do what I tell you to do. That's the crowd. And so the crowd shows up and it's not a good thing. In fact, it's a bad thing because the crowd always shows up for the wrong reason. And this is where Jesus is at. That the pull and the pressure and the demands of ministry are overwhelming. He is overworked. He is suffocating and Jesus, he is exhausted. And so whenever me and my wife we were doing a little Bible study this week and we were looking over this text, there was this really curious line. And, you know, my wife, she asked me, she said, well, what do you think that means? Just as he was. Did y'all see that? It says right here in the boat that they took him with them in the boat just as he was. I was like, you know what? I never noticed that before. That's really good insight. And so we were praying about it and I was studying and I was looking and I was trying to figure out, well, what does that mean? Just as he was, just as he was. Okay. Here's what I think it means, All right? That Jesus in this moment, he was human. That Jesus, He was tired. Jesus, he was overwhelmed, he was overworked, he was stressed, he was depleted, and I think that Jesus was exhausted. In this moment, we see that Jesus is man, and I think that sometimes as a church, we focus a lot on the divinity of Jesus. We talk about Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, and we forget that Jesus is also man. And even as I'm talking about this, some of you are kind of questioning, like, did he just say that Jesus was a man? Now here at Redemption, we believe fully that Jesus is in fact God in the flesh, that Jesus is God entered into this world, but Jesus also became a man, that he lived just as you and I did, you and I do. Jesus was fully man. And sometimes we can focus on the divinity at the exclusion of his humanity. And we wonder, how did Jesus do the things that he did? How did Jesus live the life that he did? How did Jesus go through all of those things? And how did he do that? Okay. And then we say, oh, he was God. Yeah. Jesus was God. And in a moment, we're going to see a powerful display of the divinity of Jesus. But in this moment, what we see is his humanity, right? That Jesus, he was tired. See, Jesus, he was like us. He was limited in his being, all right Jesus he only had so much time, like right? 24 hours 7 days a week. All right, Jesus he only had so much energy. Right, there's only so many people that he could love. There's only so many people that he could serve. There's only so much energy and of himself that he could avail himself to other people that he would actually get drained. He didn't manage his time, he had to learn how to manage his energy. Jesus he also had emotions. That sometimes he's happy and sometimes he's sad. Sometimes he's grieved and sometimes he's joyful. Sometimes he is you know, tired. Sometimes you know, he is well-rested. Sometimes you know, he, he, he's, he's exhausted. Sometimes he's stressed. Sometimes he's depleted. And sometimes, sometimes he's frustrated and angry. And sometimes he's tired. And I think that this is one of those moments. See, whenever Jesus was walking the earth, okay, we need to understand this. When Jesus was on the earth, he was not faking. He was not pretending to be like us. He was not. He, he was not half man, half god. He was not. He, he was not um, superhuman. No, he was fully God, and he was also fully man. And I think in this moment, what we are experiencing is the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is exhausted. This happened to me this week. <clears throat> Sunday at about one o'clock, I hit a wall. Okay, I don't know if I hit a wall or if the wall hit me, but either way, a wall. It was hit. Okay. And so it was on that day for me, I mean, I was just tired. Like I was just out of it. I was done. I was tapped out. I was drained. I had nothing left to give and all the things that I had to do, they just didn't get done right? Because I just couldn't keep going. I mean, for me, it's like study and preach and pray, and I'm helping train other church planters. And meanwhile, I'm doing all the, you know, meetings and all the counseling that we have to carry here for the church. And, you know, I'm talking with landlords and I'm talking with the lawyer and I'm, you know, talking with construction workers. And, you know, in the meantime, I'm standing on top of a scaffold, holding insulation up, trying to drill this in. And I mean, it was just overworked, overwhelmed, totally exhausted, and I just hit a wall. I couldn't go anymore. Like I, I had nothing left to give, nothing left to pour out. So at one o'clock, I just went home, got in bed, pulled the covers over my head and I just didn't get up. Right? But then I eventually had to get up because I had more responsibilities. But I think that this is exactly where Jesus is at at this moment. That Jesus, he hit the wall. Me and you, we can get to that same place. To where we try and we overexert ourselves. To where we become stressed we become exhausted and we just, we just hit that wall. So what is Jesus doing in the moment? He tells his disciples, let's go across to the other side and leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat just as he was. What is Jesus doing here? I think that Jesus is looking for the calm. That he's looking to take a moment, to take a minute, just to be able to get away, to rest, to recharge, to recoup, Because Jesus here, he is looking for the calm that comes before the storm. And so you and me, what we need to do is we need to take a lesson from Jesus. Okay, if Jesus needed to find the calm, guess what? You need to find the calm. Okay, because you're not Jesus. You're not better than Jesus. Right, if Jesus had to do it, you definitely have to do it. Jesus here, he's looking for the calm. Where can I go to get away? Where can I go to be alone in prayer? Where can I go to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Where can I go to be filled back up because in a moment I have to go pour myself out? You need to take a lesson from Jesus. You need to find the calm. You need to remember that you are human. You are human. And that you are going to get tired and you are going to get frustrated and you are going to get exhausted. And so take a lesson. Okay, you only have so much time, 24 hours, seven days a week. Right, you only have so much energy. You can't do everything for everyone. Okay, I know you try, but you can't. And you also have emotions that need to be managed. And so we need to take a lesson from the life of Jesus. And remember, you are human and that's okay. But you need to find the calm. Why? Because a storm is coming. So the first thing we see is the calm that comes before the storm. And then the second is this. It's the calm during the storm. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So the disciples, right, they take Jesus just as he was, they go in the middle of the night, They're in the middle of the sea, they're in a boat, and then all of a sudden, a great windstorm arose. But there was something different about this storm. Mark says it was a great windstorm. See, the disciples, they are fishermen, right? They've been out on the sea before. They've been in a boat before. They've done it in the middle of the night before. This was nothing new for them. They have done this all the time. This is where they made their livelihood. This is where they worked. This is where they grew up. They have been through storms like this, but they have never been through a storm like this. They had never experienced and nothing they did could ever prepare them for what is about to happen because this storm was different. Mark here says that it was a great storm. Okay, that word in the Greek is megos. Okay, it means unprecedented, unparalleled events. And then in Matthew's gospel, it uses the word seismos, which is where we get our term seismic. Okay, so think about it like an earthquake, or like a tsunami, or like a hurricane. Okay, it was a natural disaster that seemingly came out of nowhere. It was a great storm, and the disciples, they were not prepared for this. I mean, just think, what would it be like to be a disciple, okay, on that day? Like, in this moment, you're in a hurricane on the sea. Like, we are familiar with hurricanes, Amen. Okay, we've been through a hurricane once or twice. I've been in a hurricane in a house, and that was terrifying. I couldn't imagine being in a hurricane, in a boat, on the sea. Like, that's got to be total panic mode, right? You would be, like, just freaking out. How many of you, you would be scared? You would be worried. You'd be anxious. You'd be afraid. You would be freaking out, And that's exactly what the disciples do. When they find themselves right here in the the middle of the storm, they start panicking. They, they, They start running around, screaming at the top of their lungs, we're gonna die. Like, this is it. This is the end. This is the worst day of my life. I'm never gonna make it out. Like, we're, this is, you know, we're all dead and they're freaking out and they're running and they're panicking and they're afraid and they're scared and they're screaming at the top of their lungs. And then they remember, oh yeah, that's right. Jesus is in the boat with us. We need to go find Jesus. We need to see what Jesus is doing. We need to get Jesus to do something. Where's Jesus at? Somebody needs to go get him. And then they go and they find Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? He is asleep. You think, how could you be sleeping at a time like this? Who does Jesus think that he is? Jesus sleeping in the middle of a storm. Somebody needs to get Jesus up. Jesus needs to stop being so lazy. Jesus asleep while we're doing all the work. Somebody needs to tell Jesus, you know, who's in charge here. Go get him, right? Get him up, right? Get some of this water. Grab a bucket. Get this water out of here. Grab an oar. Grab a sail. Jesus, you need to do something in the whole time. What is Jesus doing? Sleeping. sleeping. He's Jesus. He can do that. Jesus is sleeping. Because he has a calm in the middle of the storm. That Jesus has a calm in the middle of the storm. And just think about this. What would Jesus do? What would it be like if the disciples ran to Jesus and they're like, like Jesus, we're, we're drowning. And Jesus says, oh no. We are. I don't know what to do. I never anticipated this. I never expected this. We're in the middle of the storm. What, we, what if Jesus would have been in the back going like, okay, boys, everybody... Go to shore. I'll see you there. Every man for himself. Man overboard. Hope you make it. I'll catch you on the other side. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what Jesus does. Instead, Jesus has a calm during the storm. And here's why this is so important it's because you may be scared of the storm, but Jesus is not scared of your storm. That you may be afraid of the storm. But Jesus is not afraid of your storm. And this gives a lot of encouragement to me, okay? Because I don't know about you, but I'll tell you a little bit about me. Um, I tend to worry a lot. Don't know if you knew that or not, but I tend to worry a lot. That I have a very anxious heart. That I am fearful and I'm afraid and I'm filled with a lot of fear. And when any situation or circumstance arises in my life, Here's, here's what happens. My mind immediately goes to the worst possible scenario. Anybody else? Right, you just begin to think about the worst possible scenario in your life. You know, so somebody's like, hey, pastor, can we meet? I'm like, oh, they're gonna leave the church, they're gonna walk away from Jesus, they're gonna go to hell, and I'm never gonna see him again, oh my God. Like, and that's where my, my mind goes. So, like, my check engine light comes on, I'm like, need a new transmission, it's like $4,000, I can't afford that. Right, my little girl, she starts crying, I'm like, she's dead. <laughs> she ain't going to make it. I ain't got no insurance. Sorry. My wife calls, and she's like, hey, babe, can we talk? I'm like, what did I do wrong? And she's going to leave me. She's going to divorce me. Right, I, I, I get a cold. I get online, and I Google it, and within three hours, I've diagnosed myself with some rare form of cancer, and i got three months to live, and Esther's going to have to walk herself down the aisle. Like That's where my mind goes, because okay, I'm fearful. I'm afraid. I, I have it anxious, and I, I worry. And this brings me such encouragement because when I am worried, Jesus isn't. That means I can, I can go to him and I can talk to him and he is not afraid. That I can go and I say, Lord, I'm, I'm really worried right now. And he, and he is there for me. you know, what would Jesus be like if we went to him and said, I'm worried? And Jesus was like, you should be. <laughs> Byron, you're worried? Whew. I'm worried. I mean, what would Jesus be like if he was like, Byron, I don't know how you're going to get yourself out of this one. Byron, I, I don't I don't see a way, I don't see what we can do here. I know I created the heavens and the earth, but I didn't anticipate this happening. I know I resurrected from the grave and I defeated Satan, sin, hell, and death, but you're on your own for this one. But that's not who Jesus is and that's not what Jesus does. That Jesus has a calm during the storm. And so what this means for us is this, that he is not scared of your storm. I don't know about you, but I couldn't serve a scared Savior. I couldn't worship a worried Savior. But because Jesus is not worried, we can go to him with our worry. And he is not scared of your storm. He is not shocked at your storm. And he is not surprised by the storm. Instead, Jesus has a calm even in the middle of it. But... If you're not careful, you can mistake his calm for his care. See, that's what the disciples do here. They mistake his calm for his care. What is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. And so the disciples, they start freaking out. Jesus, what are you doing sleeping? Jesus, what are you doing at a time like this? Jesus, why aren't you paying attention? Jesus, do you not care? Are you not aware? Do you not care that we are perishing? Because Jesus was sleeping, they thought that Jesus didn't care. They thought Jesus' calm showed a lack of his care. But you and I, we can do the exact same thing. When we find ourselves in the storm, when everything is falling around us, when the waves are coming into the boat, when the sea is raging and the winds are blowing and there's lightning and there's thunder and it's crashing all around us and we look and we say, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you at? Do you not care? And we say, if God really cared, then I wouldn't be in this storm. If God really cared, then I wouldn't be going through the things that I'm going through. If God really cared then this would not be happening. If God really cared, then I wouldn't be getting a divorce. If God really cared, then I would have those kids. If God really cared, then I would have that job. If God really cared, then I would get a new job. If God really cared, then I would be able to pay my bills. If God really cared, then I wouldn't be single. If God really cared, then I wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't be hurt. I wouldn't be injured. And my life would not be looking this way. If God really cared, where is God at? What is God doing, oh, that. That's right. He's sleeping. And what happens is in these moments, we mistake his call for his care. Is Jesus calm? Yeah. He has a calm during the storm. But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care. So we'll keep reading. The third thing he shows us is this. The calm after the storm. Verse 39. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In the middle of the storm, on the most dark and the most difficult days that the disciples ever faced, in the middle of the storm, Jesus stands up and he says, peace, be still. And then Jesus, he speaks to the storm. Jesus, he rebukes the storm. And I need you to understand this. Okay, the wording here that is used is is very, very, very important. As Jesus stands up and he speaks to the storm, he rebukes it. And then he says, Peace be still, okay? What that word literally means is this be silent, shut up, be muzzled. That's what Jesus is saying. So he rebukes it and tells it to be silent. And if you remember back in Mark's gospel in chapter one, Jesus is preaching and he is teaching in the synagogue. And as he is teaching, there is a man with an unclean spirit, a demonized man who stands up and begins to accuse Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to him. Silence, come out of him. The same words that Jesus uses to cast out the demon is the same words that Jesus uses to calm the storm. Because sometimes storms aren't just storms. Sometimes storms are something more. Sometimes storms aren't just storms. See, this was not just a natural disaster. This was actually a supernatural event that was happening in the lives of the disciples because sometimes storms aren't just storms. Sometimes storms are actually war. That you and I, we find ourselves in the middle of the war. Listen to this. God did not create storms. God did not cause the storm. Jesus, he calms the storm, but he did not create the storm. He did not He did not cause the storm to happen. See, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God made everything. Whenever God made everything, he said, it is good. That he made the plants and the stars and the animals, he made the trees, he made the moon, and God, he made the sea, and he made the sea to be good. God did not create storms. The earth and the fullness in it, everything was good. Then our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned, they fell, they rebelled, and they separated themselves from God. They took the domain that God had given them, handed it over to the enemy of darkness, and now there is disease, and now there is death, and now there is destruction, and now there is chaos, and now... there are storms, and now there are wars, and that you and me and every person who has ever lived, we have been separated from God. That you and I, that we find ourselves in the middle of a night, in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a sea, and in the middle of a storm, because that's what our life is now that we have been separated from him adrift at sea, that you and I, we find ourselves in the middle of a storm facing demonic accusation, facing demonic opposition, that we are in the middle of a storm and we're also in the middle of a war. And the greatest weapon the enemy has against you is this, fear. Because Satan knows if he can get you to fear, he can get you to lose your faith. And that's why Jesus says this. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, in this moment, the disciples, what they do is they trade their faith for their fear. That they become so fearful and they become so afraid that they begin to lose their, their faith. Because the enemy knows if he can get you to fear, he can get you to lose your faith. Fear is the enemy of your faith. I've seen fear cripple people. I've seen fear paralyze people. That fear can quite literally ruin your life. I've seen fear enter into marriages and bring division between a husband and a wife. I've seen fear tear families apart to where sons won't talk to their dads or dads don't love their sons. To where mothers and daughters' relationships are strained due to fear. To where brothers and sisters for 20 years still don't talk to each other because fear has ruined their family. I've seen fear cripple people financially to where you don't work, you can't work, you don't find work, you're overworked. You don't manage your money well. You either spend it all or you save it at the expense of a family member. And your fear of finances, it cripples you. I've seen it destroy friendships to where relationships are torn apart, relationships are falling apart because of fear. Fear will come after your family. Fear will come after your finances. Fear will come after your friends. Because what fear really wants is to take away your faith. And if you lose those things, then you begin to lose your faith. And here Jesus turns and he looks to his disciples as they're filled with fear. And he says to them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have any faith? See, in the moment, the disciples, they think they're perishing. We're going to die, and Jesus is sleeping. Oh, no, Jesus doesn't care about us. And in that moment, they chose fear over faith. And this is something that's very, very important. If you would think about what is the number one thing that the Bible talks about? More than anything else, all right? If we, if there was one thing that God would say over and over and over and over again, right? What is the one thing? What is what is the number one command of the Bible? God says, "Do not fear." It's the number one thing God says. There's actually one command of "Do not fear" 365 times in the Bible. That's one time for every single day of your life. Because it's something you're gonna struggle with every single day of your life. That you and I, we all struggle with, with fear. Fear is the enemy. So let me give you four responses when it comes to fear. Okay. The first response is this when you're afraid, okay, some of you, you fight. You think, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be bigger than this. I'm going to be greater than this. I'm going to fight this. And you think, I don't need anybody's help. I don't need God. I don't need other people. I see the storm, and I'm bigger than the storm. I'm greater than the storm. And so you decide, I'm going to fight this storm. Okay, that's exactly what the disciples do at the, first, at the beginning. Like they, They're trying to get all the water out. Like They're trying to grab an oar. They're trying to get shore. They're going to navigate their cells in a way to where they don't have to go through the storm. They can beat this storm. And that's the same thing that you and I do. See, the disciples, they try to get out of it without calling to Jesus first. And that's what some of you do in your life. That you're going to fight this storm. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need other people. I don't need to repent of my sins. I don't need to become a Christian. I can be a good person. I can do it on my own. I can live a good life. I can be brave. I can be tough. I can be strong. I can be bigger. I can be greater. I can fight this. And so you fight. But a person who always is in a fight is really a person who is always in fear. If you're always fighting, it's because you're always afraid. So you fight. And then others, it's flight. Okay, instead of fighting, you run away. You're like, oh no, there's a storm. Okay, better go in this direction. And then you run away from the storm. You say, the storm is coming. I am leaving. And then you 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 just run away. Some of you, your response to fear is flight, that you give up, that you just quit, that you give in and you run away from everything. You run away from relationships, you run away from your spouse, you run away from the church, you run away from community groups, you run away from relationships, you run away from your problems, you run away from hurts, you run away from hardships, you run away from difficulty, you run away from responsibility. Your entire life is running away. And if you're always running away, guess what? You're always afraid. So you can fight, you can flight others, you freeze. You're like, there's a storm coming. (laughs) What are you going to do? Nothing. (laughs) I'm just going to lay here, close my eyes, and hopefully it all blows over that I'm just going to ignore it and maybe it's just going, maybe it's just going to go away. I, I'm not going to do anything, right? And you just sit there and you're like, well, if the ship's going down, then we're going to go down together. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, I guess what? Well, all right, whatever. And so then you just freeze and now people who freeze, they can get very religious about it. They can say, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus was asleep on the boat. I'm like Jesus. Okay, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go down in the stern of the boat. Jesus scoot over. Let's share that cushion together, Right. <laughs> And so you think, well, it's just me and Jesus. I'm going to pull the covers over my head. I'm going to close my eyes. And then we're just going to wait until the end of the world. And that's not what Jesus does. Right? Jesus, he doesn't close his eyes and wish it all to go away. He doesn't close his eyes and wait for it all to blow over. Jesus doesn't do nothing. Jesus does do something. And what Jesus gives us here is a fourth option, a fourth way. He gives us a better way, that there is fight, there is flight, there is freeze, and there is a better way, and that way is called faith. And that's why in verse 40, Jesus tells him this. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? When you are in the middle of a storm, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Instead, you need to have faith because faith is the answer to your fear. That you should look to him, that you should trust in him, that you should believe in him and remind yourself your calm that only comes from him. And that faith is the answer to your fear. The disciples, they had no reason to be afraid. The disciples, they had no reason to doubt Jesus. They had no reason to disbelieve Jesus. Remember, they've been with Him for almost two years. For two years, they've watched Him. They've witnessed Him. They've spent life with Him. They've done done life with Him. They should have known by now who Jesus was. They saw Him preach. They saw Him teach. They saw the healings. They saw the miracles. They saw all of the things that Jesus did, but none of those things, the signs and the wonders and the miracles were able to sustain them in the middle of the storm. And in this moment, they traded their faith for their fear. The disciples, though, they had no reason for them to be afraid. And so what I need you to do is this. When you feel the fear coming, when you feel it rising up within you, when you see it on the horizon, when the clouds get black, when it's lightning, when it's thunder, when you hear the roar of the sea, here's what I need you to do. When you feel that fear, I need you to remind yourself of the faithfulness of Jesus. And you need to ask yourself this important question. Has Jesus ever failed me? The answer is no. Has Jesus forgotten me? Has Jesus forsaken me? Has Jesus abandoned me? Has Jesus ever given up on me? Has Jesus ever let me down? Has Jesus ever left me to drown? Has Jesus ever done any of those things to me? The answer is no. And so you can find your calm in him. That you allow his calm to come into your life. That you would have faith in him. That you would trust in him. That you would believe in him. And that you would find your calm in him. And Jesus stands up and he says, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. Do you notice that word there? Great. Megos. An unparalleled, unparalleled. Precedented, calm. Jesus rebukes the storm. He speaks to the storm. He says, peace, be still, and it obeys him. That the winds, they cease. That the sea, it ceases. That the storm becomes perfectly peaceful, perfectly calm. I need you to see what Jesus just did right there. Whenever Jesus... Before creation, created the world. How did he do it? By speaking. What Jesus just does right here is he demonstrates his sovereignty and his authority over creation. At just his word, all of creation obeys. What Jesus does in this moment, right there in the boat, in front of the disciples, in the middle of the storm, what Jesus just did is this. Jesus reversed the curse of sin over that sea in that moment. What Jesus does is he reinstates, just for a minute, the sea back to its pre-garden-like state. The sea obeys. The power of Jesus. And listen, there is a day coming that Jesus will calm every storm in your life just like he calms the storm at the sea. There is a day coming where Jesus is going to calm every single storm that you've ever gone through. There will be a day that Jesus is going to return and he is going to renew this world. And it's going to be the way that he always intended. That there will be a new heavens and a new earth and you and me, we will have a resurrected new body that will be with Jesus forever and there will be no storms. That sin will be silenced, that death will be silenced, that disease will be silenced, that destruction will be silenced, that chaos and disorder and all of the storms and all of the war, it will be silenced. And we will experience stillness, a peace, a calm like God always intended, that in your life, every tear will be wiped away from your face. There will be no more storms. There will be no more clouds. There will no be, be no more lightning. There will be no more thunder. And there will be no more winds. That day is coming. But that day is not yet here. And that day has not yet come. And you and me, in the meantime, we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. But the good news is, is this that God is with you. That Jesus is with you even in the storms. See, oftentimes what we think is this, that the storm is greater than us. The storm is more powerful than us. And we think, God, you need to take away the storm. God, I want you to take away the storm. God, you got to take away the storm. You got to do something about this storm. And we want God to take away the storm. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not that God would remove your storms, but that when you are going through it, God is right there with you the entire time. See, the power is not in the storm. That's what we think. The power is in the storm. That this storm is so great. This storm is so strong. This storm is going to crush me. This storm is going to consume me. This storm is going to kill me. This storm is so powerful, friends. The power is not in the storm. The power is in the boats. The power is in Jesus, and Jesus is in the boat with you. Where is God? He's right there in the boat with you the entire time. The power is not in the storm. The power is in Jesus, that Jesus, he is powerful. And hear me on this. It's on the dark days. It's on the difficult days. It's on the worst days. It's in the darkest hour that you truly experience Jesus' greatest power that you see the power of Jesus and he is greater, he is stronger, he is more powerful than any storm that you face. And when you experience this, you feel his calm. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. And you hear his call come over you, into your heart, and over your life to where you know that no matter what you go through, Jesus is right there with you the entire time. So you can have a calm before the storm, during the storm, and you can have a calm after the storm. Which leads us to our fourth and final point. The storm after the calm. Here's what it says in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. There's that word again. Great fear. Megos, megos fear. Great fear. Why would they be filled with fear? The storm is over. The storm is past. The storm is done. Okay, the storm, that's in the past. Okay, why would they be filled with great fear after the storm? And then they said to one another, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The only way for you to replace fear is with faith because faith is the only thing that is greater than fear because when you have faith, you have nothing to fear except for God himself. And on this day, on that day, the day that everything changed for the disciples is not because of the storm. It's not because they were afraid, but it's because of the first time that they experienced true, genuine, real opportunity authentic faith that they traded their faith for their fear and they got to see Jesus for actually truly who he really was. And they said they were filled with great fear. Why? Right? Because the only thing scarier than a storm outside of your boat is God inside of your boat. Amen. Right? The only thing scarier than a storm, which can take your life is the Lord who can take your eternal life. And at this moment, they witness and see Jesus. See, before this, all they knew about Jesus was his humanity. But in this moment, they get to see the wonderful, powerful display, not of his humanity, but of his divinity. That in this moment, they see Jesus for who he truly was. And they said, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Who could this be? What kind of man is this? What kind of person is this? Who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? The answer is God. God. That Jesus is God, because only Jesus can do what God does. That Jesus is greater. That Jesus is stronger. That Jesus is more powerful. That Jesus is greater than the storm, because Jesus is God. And in this moment, the disciples, they see Jesus for who he truly was. You see, in our lives, here's what we want. We want Jesus to remove the storms, but there are some things that you can only learn when you find yourself in the middle of a storm there are some things about the nature and the character and the goodness and the person of God that are only revealed to you when you find yourself in the middle of the storm. That if it wasn't for this day, if it wasn't for that day, if it wasn't for the difficult days, if it wasn't for the dark days, what would you learn about who Jesus is? How would you trust in him? How would you have faith in him? How would you believe in him if you never had that day? How could you have faith in him if you've never gone through a storm? And in our lives... Here's what we want. Here's what you want. You say, God, remove the storm. God, take it away. God, end it. God, prevent it. God, remove the storms. But what if God wants to reveal himself to you in the middle of it? That it's in the middle of the storm they see Jesus for who he truly is. That he's not just a man, but he is God. And for the first time, they begin to exercise just a little bit of faith. And they believe. And what I love so much about Jesus is this, that he was with them the entire time. When the storm came in, he was with them. When they got in the boat, he was with them. All day long, he was with them. He was with them the entire time. And they missed it. But only when that day happened did they truly get to experience him. And I-, I love this about Jesus, okay? Because when they're freaking out, when they're panicking, when they're running around, when they're scared, when they're fearful, when they're afraid, when they're worried, they began to accuse him. They begin to question him. And what this shows us is this. That, yeah, there might have been a storm out there, but the great storm was actually in here. The storm was not out there. The storm was in their hearts. That they disbelieved, that they questioned, that they doubted, that they worried, that they were afraid. And they asked, do you even care? about what I'm going through. And I think the point of the story is that all of the storms in life really only show us just how much Jesus does care. That he was in the boat with you the entire time. Because that's just how much Jesus does care for us That Jesus sees the storm and he enters into it. Jesus, he sees the storm in your life. He sees the storm of your sin. He sees the storm of your shame. He sees the storm of your disappointments. He sees the storm of your past. He sees the storm of your grief, of your insecurities. He sees the storm of your life and your worry and your fear. And he enters into that storm. That Jesus is God becoming a man, entering into this world. Jesus goes to the other side. It's where he enters into the world and he lives his life just like us. Jesus, he experienced storms. Then Jesus, he was born to an unwed teenage girl who grew up in a very poor rural town. Most likely his adoptive father died and he had to take care of his family. As Jesus goes into his ministry, he tells us that he is homeless, that he is poor, that Jesus cannot pay his bills, Jesus cannot af- afford to feed his friends, and everybody around him is hurting and suffering that Jesus is betrayed by his family, Jesus is denied by his friends, Jesus is even stabbed in the back by his best friend. Jesus is arrested, Jesus is tried, Jesus is crucified, Jesus is murdered. Do you think Jesus ever went through storms? Yeah. And as they take Jesus' body and they lay it in the ground, three days later, he resurrects So that you don't have to go through the storm alone. So that whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, whatever is happening in your life, whatever storm, Jesus is in that boat with you. He's right there with you. And the storms of life really only serve to show us just how much he cares. Listen, Redemption, I know that there are many people in our church right now who you're going through a storm. For some of you, things are really good right now. Praise the Lord. God bless you. For some of you, things are great in your life, and we praise God for that. But for some of you, today is that day. Today is the worst day. Today is the difficult day. I know there's people in our church who you're sick. And it hurts and you're afraid because you go to the doctor and it's cancer or it's something else and they can't diagnose it And so you have to go back and take more tests. There's a lot of fear. I know there's others who have mental health issues to where it's depression and anxiety and the medication it just doesn't really seem to work. I know there's others in our church who are divorced or Getting a divorce. I know there are other people in our church who you've lost your job or you've lost family members, that your dad has died or your mom has passed away. I know people in our church who even lost their own kids and they struggle and it hurts. I know women in our church who have miscarriages and women in our church who've had abortions, and I know women in our church who are really struggling. And I know men in our church who are single and they want to honor the Lord and they want to pursue after holiness, but it looks like everyone around them is happy and they don't, they don't know what to do and they don't know where to go and they don't know where to turn and they find themselves in the middle of a storm. I want you to know that as a church, we want to be the type of church where you can experience... Jesus, calm in the middle of your storm. Because that's who Jesus is. And that's the Jesus that we serve. See, I think oftentimes as a church, we do a big disservice when we diminish other people's storms. When we look at the storms that other people are going through and we compare theirs to ours. I think you do yourself a really big disservice when you try to diminish other people's storms. When you look at somebody's storm, you say, that's not really that big of a deal. Oh, you're worried about that storm? It's all in your mind. It's all your imagination. You just need to think happy thoughts and eventually it'll go away. And we teach people to ignore their storms or to feel bad that they're going through one. But you notice that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus he speaks to them in the middle of it and he says peace be still and I think in your own life when you diminish the storms you're diminishing Jesus power to deliver you when you diminish the storms that you go through and you're always trying to escape them and you're always trying to avoid them and you're always trying to run away from them you're missing out on seeing God for who he truly is. So when you reach to that point to where you're wondering, does God love me? Does God care for me? Is God there for me? The answer is yes. He was in the boat with you the entire time. And he has come not just to calm the sea out there, but the sea in here. Not just the storm outside, at sea, but the storm that rages inside of me and inside of you and inside of everyone. And Jesus speaks, peace be still. And what I love so much about this story is that in Mark, we see for the disciples the best day of their lives. We see Jesus do amazing, wonderful, incredible things. But right here on this day, on that day, the worst day of their life, Jesus still does something wonderful, incredible, and amazing. And so I want this to be a hope to you. I want this to be encouragement to you. That today, Jesus can still do something incredible in your life. All we got to do is have faith and we'll see him for who he truly is. Have faith in the middle of the storm and he'll show himself to you even when you're walking through it. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, You can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are redemption and we would love to meet you.